0: Hi friends, welcome to Why We Care. I'm your host, Stefan and I started this podcast because I realized that most people know how to reduce their carbon footprints, but few know how to directly help protect nature and biodiversity. So together, we'll explore our relationship with the natural world and learn how we can take better care of Mother Earth in our everyday lives. In this week's episode, I'm chatting with Emma Hackinson, an activist, author, and founder of Collective Fashion Justice, an organization campaigning for a fashion system that upholds total ethics, by prioritizing the life and well-being of our fellow animals, people and the planet we share. I first heard about Emma through Slay, a documentary on the behind the scenes of the leather industry. You might remember hearing about it in the episode I did with Poppy Mason Watts from Waterbird Network as the film is available for free on their streaming platform. Emma has been advocating for a more ethical fashion system for years. So we spoke about how to navigate the sustainable fashion space, which can be so confusing and sometimes misleading. We discussed the environmental impact of animal leather and how leather is actually a profitable co-product rather than a byproduct of the meat industry as we're often led to believe. We also spoke about the carbon tunnel vision, this idea that by focusing on carbon emissions, we tend to overlook other important issues such as biodiversity loss, overconsumption, pollution, inequality, and animal exploitation. I really hope you'll enjoy the conversation. Please share this episode around you if you did. Don't forget to also follow Emma and Collective Fashion Justice on Instagram for for more info and ways for you to take action. And I also just wanted to thank you all for your support and kind words over the past few months. I'm so happy to see so many of you enjoying the podcast and engaging on Instagram. So if you ever have any thoughts or suggestions, please feel free to DM me on Instagram at whywecarepodcast because I always really love hearing from you. Thank you so much for caring and sending you lots of love. Hi Emma, thank you so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Yes, thank you for having me. Um, Could you start by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about what you do?
1: Yes, so I am the founding director of Collective Fashion Justice. We're a not-for-profit organization that exists to create what I call a total ethics fashion system that prioritizes the life and well-being of people, our fellow animals and the planet before profit. Um, We write reports, we lobby for legislative change, we consult with brands on their policies and sourcing practices, we educate the public and other things like that. I got into fashion first through modelling with no ethical consideration at all Um, and then by learning more and more about the fashion industry, I realised that I needed to shift path and create positive change.
0: Mm -hmm. Amazing. Well, thank you for that and thank you for all the work you did because it's really um, important and powerful so love it and um, yes. could you maybe tell us a little bit more about the concept that you developed of total ethics fashion because I think there's a really um, interesting and, and uh, very clear uh, diagram on your website but it would be great if you could kind of uh, talk us through it
1: yeah so I think the point of coining a term like total ethics fashion was to address how other terms like ethical fashion, cruelty-free fashion, sustainable, fair, slow, green, conscious, all of those terms have been kind of overused and misused to such a degree that the meaning has become contorted and kind of lost. So total ethics fashion exists to express intersections and collectivity where other concepts and terms haven't really been able to do that or have become more singular in their thinking. Um, So it exists to demand an all-encompassing and more holistic view of responsibility and care in fashion. It also seeks to recognise that you know we're all a part of nature so when we talk about sustainable fashion we can't talk about the planet, but not all of the individuals who live on it, whether it's people or other species. So, yeah, it really looks at our well being as a total thing, hence, total ethics fashion.
0: Mm-hmm. Amazing. And so, can you, um, or yeah, maybe I'll actually uh, find a way to post the diagram as well, because maybe that will be uh, helpful for people to um, visualize it. Um, but thank you for that. That was super helpful. Um, something else I wanted to ask was the, and now I'm calling it sustainable, but maybe that's not the um, right word, but um, yeah, the kind of ethical or sustainable or more responsible um, fashion space, I think, can be so overwhelming to navigate, um, especially mm-hmm. as I said, because there's so much, so many different terms that are being thrown around, even more so now, but by um, companies that we know are, are really not um, doing a very great job at, at being respectful and ethical. Um yeah do you have any kind of practical tips or like places to recommend for people who want to improve their fashion choices? What would maybe what would be maybe the starting point or what would you recommend looking into first? I
1: think the first thing that I always say, which is maybe not necessarily the answer people hope for, is that the best place to improve our fashion choices and our relationship with fashion is within our own wardrobes. You know, how can we get better at taking care of the clothes we already have, washing them in a way that is going to help them last longer, learning how to repair them, mend them, think more creatively about how we style them so that we don't feel we have to have as many clothes. Um, I think, you know, given there's over 100 billion garments being made every year, that's a really good first place to start. And then after that, I think it's all about asking questions because You know, there are so many marketing slogans being thrown at us, like you say, and it's really important to think more about what's actually happening compared to what we're being told. And we have a lot of articles on our website about it, but it means, you know, if a brand says that they pay fair wages, what does that actually mean? It's not a legally defined term. Do they actually mean a living wage or are they just making up whatever they think is fair, which is not necessarily true? The same for something like if a brand says that they have cruelty-free wool or they're using the responsible wool standard but that standard still allows for tail docking without pain relief sometimes it still means that sheep are slaughtered. We have to kind of not take everything at face value that we're told by the fashion industry. So I think asking questions is a really useful starting point. I'd like to be able to offer actual brands for people that are looking for something new if they can't get something pre-loved. And so we have a certification coming out this year to help answer that question. So I'll be able to answer that soon.
0: Okay. Amazing. Thank you. I think that's really helpful. And a lot of, um, yeah, I guess like starting points for people. I really love that. Um, And yeah, I'll also include the link to your website in case people want to do um, that research. And I think there's probably quite a lot of information on there um, that people can read into. So that's great. Thank you. And also completely agree with you on um, looking at your wardrobe first. I've actually started doing a bit more of um, kind of like mending of things that I already have that I... um, Mm really value um, almost like emotionally. And then the other day, for example, I brought um jumper to uh, the tailor because it has a little hole and then um, I got it mended and dry cleaned and it feels like it's a brand new one. And actually, um, I just- You get uh, the same excitement. Yeah, exactly. And I actually wore it and got uh, comments from people on that day asking me where it was from and that it looked super nice. And I was like, wow, I mean, I've had it for a really long time, but somehow it feels, um, yeah, it, feel, it felt like it was a new piece. And that was actually- um, yeah really re- a really nice feeling so I agree with you and I would definitely recommend people um, start doing that um, nice um so yeah thank you for that um something else I wanted to ask is could you touch on the concept of carbon tunnel vision and how in your view this is reflected in the fashion industry yes
1: so carbon tunnel vision again there's a really great graphic that I wish I could kind of teleport into <laughs> people's frames right now um of a person that is looking through all of these considerations like biodiversity, destruction, poverty, overconsumption, pollution, inequality. I like to add animal exploitation in there as well. Um, And they're looking through all of that and only at carbon emissions. And so that's another example of an approach that's not collective when we think about sustainability. Um, And it helps us to consider, you know, all of these other things that we might not be looking at, like what about, Indigenous land rights issues that are associated with fashion supply chains like some cellulose materials like leather, like wool, Um, you know, we know that 80% of biodiversity is protected by Indigenous populations even though they make up 6% of the global population. Mm -hmm. It also means if we're talking about carbon tunnel vision that we might not even be looking at all emissions. We might not be talking about methane, for example, which is more potent in the short term and so acting on methane emissions is a really important you know, part of addressing the climate crisis quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of things like that. And I think it's just another model and way of looking at the importance of seeing, you know, we've created a huge mess of a problem, so there's never going to be one kind of single silver bullet solution. We can't just fix one thing and then everything's fine. Um, I think, you know, the same way we can't view human, other animal and environmental wellbeing issues as separate, we can't try to mend like part of the fabric of the earth and then have the whole cloth be preserved because we've just, you know, fixed a little hole over there if we want to have like a little fashion metaphor. Um, and I think carbon tunnel vision is just
0: another way to explain that. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I, I love the the little metaphor and I think that makes <laughs> a lot of sense. Um, <laughs> and I will try, I will try to uh, find that graphic and post it maybe on Instagram or something. I can share it with you. Thank you. But, but yeah, I think you also described it really well. So <laughs> that was really helpful. Um, and that's actually a nice segue, I think what you said about meth- meth- uh, methane, cause uh, that comes from uh, cows, right? So um, one thing I wanted to ask um, on leather specifically is, um, it would be great if you could share an overview of the problems with animal leather, um, because um, I've seen quite a lot of, um, or quite a few uh, brands of people, within the sustainable fashion space argue that it's better for the planet, pitching it against um, vegan leather, uh, quote-unquote, uh, made of plastic. Because um, I I think we've also seen that some uh, brands kind of jumped on the vegan bandwagon. And, um, you know, um, what used to be a cheap alternative for animal leather uh, suddenly was rebranded as vegan, which is the case. But then also uh, some people kind of say, yeah, but... Um, animal leather is actually better for the planet. So um, could you uh, kind of share your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. So I think there's a lot to address in this one, and it is kind of one of the most controversial things that people always like asking for my take on. Mm -hmm. And I think you're right. It's because brands like H&M that, you know, produce so much that don't care for the planet are putting the word vegan on something that is not sustainable, not actually considering ethics either um but i think that's aside from the real crux of this question the first part that i think is worth addressing is the plastic thing i think we have to recognise that we need to move away from both fossil fuel and animal drive materials if we really want to hit environmental targets like those outlined by the IPCC. It doesn't have to be one or the other. It has to be both. Mm -hmm. Um, And while it's true that a material like polyurethane, which is at the moment the most common alternative to something like cow skin leather, It does have a smaller water, climate, land, chemistry, biodiversity impact than cowskin leather, but that does not mean that it's sustainable. Like something being more sustainable is not the same as genuinely sustainable if they're both doing very badly. Um, (laughs) I think too, you know, we are seeing more alternatives that are partly bio-based, but still have some synthetic derivatives in it. Um, and I think it's important to see those as stepping stones to further innovation that are ultimately going to be completely bio-based or recycled and circular like a material like Mirum from natural fibre welding, for example.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I think also one of the reasons that people talk about alternatives to leather as a problem is because they're interested in biodegradability and how that is relevant to the end of a life cycle for a product. Um, and so, there, I think it's important to realize that animal drive leather is also not effectively biodegradable after chem- chemical tanning, even according to industry studies. Like the whole process exists to render organic matter into something inorganic that's not going to rot on our feet. Um, and actually, global legislation in a lot of places allows for cowskin leather to be coated in plastic, so long as it's a certain percentage of the total genetic makeup of that material. It doesn't have to be labeled that way. So there's plastic is a problem like everywhere in fashion. Even if you have a shoe where the material is wholly plastic free, probably stuff inside the shoe is going to be plastic. So it's like a much bigger issue than just this one material type. Um, But putting all of that aside, because I feel like that's a really important just kind of setup of this false Mm -hmm. narrative that it's one or the other. To get to the crux of what I think the problem with leather is, is that it's a profitable co-product. So it's not a by-product. Even the Leather and Hide Council of America, they recognise that the leather industry is worth billions of dollars and that the popularity and profitability of leather is directly linked to the number of cattle that are reared and slaughtered. So slaughterhouses report huge losses when skins don't sell, even due to the rise of alternative materials, and so that's really important to understand when we say that that means avoiding leather is divesting from an industry which is inherently inefficient. We have data that you can find on our website that shows, you know, for example, in Brazil, leather can be one square metre of leather. You can have as much as 988 square metres of land that is required to produce that compared to something like Pinatex, even if it's not perfect, it's 16 square metres, which is so much smaller same for mycelium same for like most plant-based alternatives um it's also beneficial to divest from that industry if you look at climate and water a pair of boots made from cowskin leather can it, producing it requires as much water as someone drinks over 17 years and even if you compare it to something like polyurethane which again isn't the total ethics alternative but just for a point of reference mm-hmm. there's 55 kilos more carbon equivalent emissions in the animal leather shoe so that's a lot worth avoiding i would say um and that's even before you talk about like species extinction involved in that land inefficiency or that kind of thing um and then you get to the point where you know we can aim to eliminate deforestation. We can make sure that tannery workers are treated better than they are. We can improve chemistry use. Like it is possible to reduce suffering and to reduce the overall impact of animal driven leather production, but there are still inherent inefficiencies that can't be avoided. And it's still always going to be a supply chain that is built upon the slaughter of an animal. And that's kind of needless when we have opportunity to do it in other ways, which we do. Um, You know, needless slaughter isn't something that we should be sustaining. It's not aligned with total ethics fashion. And there's a human impact for it too when we talk about something like perpetration-induced traumatic stress, which is like PTSD, but caused by inflicting trauma on someone else. And that's what slaughterhouse workers face. And it's why no one wants those jobs. And so vulnerable people are made to do it. So that was a really long summary, but I think it's because there's just so much on this topic. It's a little overwhelming when you actually realize how many different intertwined harms are involved in leather production.
0: Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, thank you so much. It was a long answer, but I think definitely needed and so much information in there. So. Thank you for, for sharing all of that. And I think it all makes so much sense. Um, And what I would encourage listeners to do as well, if uh, you haven't done it yet, is watch Slay, uh, which is the film that you were a part of as well. It's available for free on WaterBear. Um, actually, I watched it the other weekend and um, it also covers a lot of that information that you um, just went over. But yeah, I think there's so much uh to, to that issue. But one of the main things, uh, one of the main takeaways for me as well, which um. I didn't really know before watching uh Slay was um this idea that we do hear a lot that leather is just a byproduct of the meat industry. And it's almost positioned that as this thing where you're um using like waste material and you're like tackling waste by um producing something from that um from that skin. Whereas as you said, it's it's more of a case of it's a co-product and it's also an industry that generates billion and that it's um uh, fueled by people uh, buying leather products um, which as you said as well is not needed and then ultimately is still killing uh, someone that wouldn't need to die uh, for you to wear a pair of shoes or a bag so I think that's really um, powerful and important to say so thank you for that um and and something else that i wanted to ask as well is what about regenerative leather because that's also something that um i think is becoming more and more of a thing um and again uh, it's kind of presented as this um great alternative for the environment do you have any kind of thoughts on that
1: yes a lot of thoughts on this one as well possibly unsurprisingly yeah um (laughs) so the first part is like the huge ethical question of leather is not at all addressed by this right like the slaughter aspect is still very much part of it. Mm-hmm. But if we look at the environmental aspect, um, holistic management practices generally are really critical. I went to a cotton farm in Australia when we were filming another film that I was involved with, Willow and Claude, and we were looking at knitwear production. So we learnt about, you know, the value of crop rotation, nitrogen fixing crops like chickpeas and cotton systems. All of that stuff is really important. Mm-hmm. However, farmed animals aren't a part of this system if we're talking about genuine regeneration as much, you know, if we're talking about land and nature regeneration, we often hear people say you have to have animals as a part of a healthy ecosystem. And that is absolutely true. But that is talking about wildlife and native animals that are just existing and doing their thing as part of an ecosystem rather than introduced species that exist as commodities for profit purposes. Um, A lot of the studies also around regenerative agriculture, films like Kiss the Ground, Sacred Cow. They're based on research from Alan Savory and his organisation. He has funding ties to big oil, to big ag, and he, there's, he's the subject of numerous peer-reviewed and published research reports that just show how immense the amount of misinformation involved in his calculations and studies are, including a really good one I would recommend anyone read or read our report on leather because it kind of summarises it because this one's really complicated. Mm -hmm. Um, But Oxford and Cambridge released a report called Grazed and Confused and it looks at this topic in a lot of detail and ultimately they found that, you know, grazing farmed animals is not a climate solution. It's not the thing everyone props it up to be. There's also two studies that I think are really important to point out here, which is that if we're talking about regeneration, if we move towards a plant-based system, we would be able to free up 75% of current agricultural land, about 3 billion hectares. And with that, if we rewilded that newly freed up land, we would be able to sequester through this nature-based solution between 99 to 163% of our carbon emissions budget to 1.5 degrees if we did it by 2050. So to me... Um, if I'm asked about regeneration, that sounds thrilling and so exciting. And that is so much more interesting to me than a system that still perpetuates exploitation and that is still ultimately an inefficient use of land and resources.
0: Mm-hmm. okay oh amazing that's uh yeah that's that you just uh shared is is uh really exciting because uh, yeah i mean that it- it is yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly it brings hope which is uh nice to hear okay but great that's um thank you for sharing that i think that's super helpful and um yeah if you share the links uh, with me i'll include them in the show notes as well if people want to sure. um, dive deeper and, and read the reports um and so we talked quite a lot about leather but um obviously it's not the only way fashion is exploiting animals so um and i know you're working on a report on feathers um for example so would you be able to uh, give an overview of kind of other animal products that listener might want uh listeners might want to look out for um when they're buying uh, fashion items
1: yes um so this is another question where i could talk for 500 years so i'll start <laughs> with saying we have a whole material guide on the website that goes through literally every animal derived material so look at that rather than listen to me talk you through all of it (laughs) but i think that it's important to talk about some specifically that have kind of these assumptions behind them so for example like this report on feathers we are talking about ostrich feathers and they're often being used as an alternative to fur because the fashion industry believes that it is a more ethical alternative and that's often built around this assumption that ostrich feathers kind of just fall to the ground and then they get collected and everyone lives happily ever after. But ostrich skin, which is banned as an exotic skin by a lot of big fashion houses now, is from the same supply chain as ostrich feathers. It's a slaughterhouse supply chain. So that's obviously not a solution if we're moving away from fur because we don't think it's acceptable to kill animals for fashion. And then if we look at other feathers, like something more common, like down feather from ducks and geese, Um, you know, there are certifications like the responsible down standard, which exists to prevent live plucking, or at least it aims to. There are several investigations that have shown it hasn't been effective at doing that. Um, But even if it does do that, the only alternative to live plucking is to kill the animal first and then pluck them when they're a few weeks, a few months old. So again, how much more ethical, is it really, especially when those standards do allow factory farm-like conditions, it doesn't allow ducks access to water to float in despite them being aquatic birds. Um, it's the same with most of these systems. Like ultimately if we're viewing individuals as commodities and means to profit, we're not going to be putting their best interests first. So I think that's kind of the core of that whole question.
0: mm mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. Um, And yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I think in a lot of um, cases, we're actually so far removed from what actually happens. But yeah, it's really hard to picture. So I think that was helpful what you said, for example, about Ostrich feathers, which because also then the industry puts a lot of effort into marketing it as something that is, you know, I love that we think that, yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly. And as you said, there's this uh, almost like general idea that you know the feathers are just like um dropping, and then someone like (laughs) picks them up, and then you make a jacket out of that. But actually, um, that's not what's happening, especially when you're producing on such a big uh, scale as well, right?
1: Um,
0: Yeah. So yeah, that was really helpful. Thank you for that. Um, what are three Three uh, things that listeners can start doing today to help create a more ethical fashion system, in your opinion? Mm.
1: I think first, I'd reiterate two things I've kind of touched on already. The first being to love your clothes first is the best thing. Um, Number two would again be to ask questions and to make sure that what you're buying is in alignment with total ethics fashion as much as possible and in alignment with your values. Um, And then I think the third thing, which to me is really the most important, is to remember that you have a voice and you can make change with it, not only by voting with your dollar, like we don't have to purchase into fashion in order to create change. Um, And that's a really dangerous idea because it means that we're just fueling overconsumption if we think that's the only way that we can have an impact. You know, we can tell brands what we think of them, what we want from them. We can talk to our local elected representatives about fashion policy. You can talk to organisations like Collective Fashion Justice about how you can get involved. I think it's really important that we remember we're incredibly powerful as a collective if we want to be because it can feel daunting as an individual to feel like you're up against this mammoth industry, but it's not just you. It's lots of us.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. I love that. I think that's really helpful. Um, Thank you for sharing that. And on a more personal note, um, obviously these topics and I think especially um, animal exploitation can be really sad and heavy to deal with. Um, So how do you manage to stay positive and where do you find hope?
1: Yeah. I mean, it is tough. And I think it's tough when people don't acknowledge it as, it's just, it's sensible to be interested in reducing suffering and eliminating it ultimately. Um, mm-hmm. The remedy to that, I think, talking specifically on the animal side of things, because like climate doomism is a whole other thing. Um, I find going to animal sanctuaries is really nice, like meeting the individuals and seeing individuals as themselves really puts the work into perspective. So even Maybe it's hope, maybe it's just finding drive to continue going. I think that that's a really important thing for me. I rescued two cows called Alira and Malala and they were, they lived near my parents in the countryside and I just actually wrote the farmer a note being like, I've become friends with them too much. I need to talk to you
0: and see if we can
1: work something out. And he was lovely and he did. Um, And that was actually how I first realised I couldn't wear like any skin, even the stuff I already had because I was patting them and Malayla was licking my hands and then she licked my shoe. And at the time it was like a vintage Doc Martin boot and I just Mm -hmm. felt, I was like, that's enough for me. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I think that gives me hope that I see animals as individuals and that more people are doing that as well and they also help, you know, give me perspective. So I think that alongside knowing that there is a growing community of people that really are interested in total ethics fashion, that's enough to keep me going.
0: (laughs) Okay, yeah, I think that um, that's a beautiful story and that, yeah, makes a lot of sense and it kind of goes back to what you were saying before about eliminating that disconnect and bridging the gap and and kind of reminding yourself that it's actually individuals um, behind that industry and so kind of creating that connection. um, Mm. Love that. Great. Thank you. Um, And so finally, uh, two questions that I kind of always end with. Uh, The first one, uh, who do you think I should interview next on this podcast? And then what's the best book you ever read and why?
1: Interview next. I love following Michaela Loach. I think her work on collective action and collective action towards collective liberation is incredible. So anytime she talks, I want to hear it. Um, And for books, I feel like even though this seems ridiculous, it feels time to say that I have a book and I have another book on total ethics fashion coming out later in the year. But for ones that are not about me, um, I really liked Beasts of Burden. It's not directly related to fashion, but it also is. It connects disability and speciesism, which are things that you wouldn't necessarily connect. But I love when books do kind of link up different forms of oppression and look at how we have to dismantle them all at once. So that was really eye-opening
0: mm-hmm. okay amazing thank you for that and i'll include links to uh this one and also your book um and and your website and everything thank you <laughs> <laughs> obviously i was going to mention them uh, anyway because that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> great well i think that's it for me uh thank you so much Emma. that was super helpful and and hopefully um yeah people will have learned a few things and and also i think uh you showed some very clear action points so um yeah thank you for that thank you
1: thanks for having me
0: have a lovely um well evening because you're in australia <laughs> so have a lovely <laughs> relaxful for evening and uh yes speak soon thank you bye bye Thank you listeners i really hope you enjoyed the conversation don't forget to share this episode with a few friends or family members if you did and also to follow emma and collective fashion justice on social media for even more tips from her and updates i'll include all the links in the show notes you can also follow at why we care podcast and um, if you want to give me any feedback or just continue the conversation thank you so so much in advance and see you next week thank you for caring and sending you lots of love